Good evening. We will start with motivation. And as Hulinas spoke, compassion, or to cultivate compassion, he's describing that we human beings experience different kinds of suffering, or when I will translate this as dukkha, and it might be temporal, temporal or spiritual suffering dukkha. So temporal dukkha is lacking resources we need to live, not getting what we would like, not feeling good about ourselves, and the human human condition of being subject to aging, sickness, and death. And some of these may be due to um, structural injustices in society, others are rather external conditions. And then um, also some are related to how we look at life. And then the other kind of dukkha is spiritual dukkha. So Solinas describes this as a kind of angst because of not seeing the purpose in our life. And it is due to part in part to lacking wise elders who shows us a reliable path to inner peace. And as we now all beings want to be happy and not suffer, so we all want to remove, or we all try to remove our sufferings, our dukkha. He's saying, everyone tries to remove superficial pain, but there's another class of techniques concerned with removing suffering dukkha on a deeper level. Spiritual practice is of this deeper type. These techniques involve an adjustment of attitude. So spiritual education basically means adjusting your thoughts in a beneficial way. This means that by adjusting counterproductive attitudes, you are held back from a particular kind of suffering dukkha and are thereby freed from it. Spiritual education protects or holds you and others back from misery. First, we have to understand our own situation and then wanting to be free from dukkha. And so, further practice on the basis of equanimity, we can develop compassion towards others, other sentient beings as well. And His Holiness is saying further that compassion makes not only yourself happy, it also diminishes the fears about your own pain and increases your inner strength. It gives you a sense of empowerment, of being able to accomplish your task. And I would like to share a story that he shared in that book that um, might give you a good example of how you can apply that yourself. So he's saying, Several years ago, when I was in Bodh Gaya, India, I fell ill from a chronic intestinal infection. 
On the way to the hospital, the pain in my abdomen was severe and I was sweating a great deal. The car was passing through the area of Vulture's Peak, where Buddha once taught. In general, Bihar state is poor, but this particular area is even more so. I did not even see children going to or coming from school, just poverty and sickness. I have a cl very clear memory of a small boy with polio who had rusty metal braces on his legs and metal crutches up to his armpits. It was obvious that he had no one to look after him. A little later on, we drove past an old man at a tea stop, wearing only a dirty piece of cloth, falling to the ground, left to lie there with no one to take care of him. Later, at the hospital, my thoughts kept circling on what I had seen, reflecting on how sad it was that there I had people, that here I had people to take, of, take care of me, but those poor people had no one. That is where my thoughts went, rather than to my own suffering. In this way, though my body underwent a lot of pain, a hole had opened in my intestinal wall, my mind did not suffer any fear or discomfort. My concern was elsewhere. If I had concentrated on my own problems, it would only have made the situation worse. When your perspective includes the suffering of limitless beings, your own suffering looks comparatively small. Compassion strengthens your outlook, and with that courage, you become more relaxed. Maybe take this as an example to focus on the review on Venomous teachings that this will only help us to improve, to reflect upon more, to integrate it in our mind stream, to be able to develop compassion so that we can just, like His Holiness, overcome our dukkha, our personal pain, and extend our compassion to others. Tonight, I will um, go with you through the Gomshan Lamrim uh, and the, the training the mind on the stages of the, the path of great beings. So it's on page 47, at least on my page, point 4, 4B, 2B, 3, <laughs> so if you want to look it up. And um, then, after a bit going through that, what Venomal taught, so I will just review what she taught. And I have a lot of questions for you to keep you active in that process. Um, then uh, she's going into Chandrakirti's homage to, of compassion. And I will review that with you as well. Because she gave 
us the instructions to get family with that place. We have it here in Shenrezi Hall in the entrance right behind Kuan Ying's statue. And she said, it is good for us to know what the Pharisees process are saying. For us here as residents, if we have guests coming by who ask us, what does it mean that we, <laughs> that we don't just do this, <laughs> we know something. And general, to be able to contemplate upon it because these verses um, entail a lot. So she gave on um, two evenings teachings on that. And she summarized it as well. She said that it would be, she shared that it would be um, very worthwhile to do a retreat on that. And then also, I have some meditations that we could um, do in between that relate to those verses and um, a general compassion meditation. So we'll see how far we get. So, training the mind on the stages of the past to of great beings, showing the bodhicitta to be the soul gateway to the great vehicle. It's the under point C, uh, C1. So here, Gomshan Navang Trakpa continues saying, showing the bodhicitta to be the sole gateway to the great vehicle, so the universal vehicle, the Mahayana vehicle, even if you attain simple liberation upon the Buddha's urging, you will have to enter the great vehicle, he's saying. And Venerable um, commented on that and she said, so even if you become an Ahat, a liberated being, and recite in your own meditation, um, a on nature of reality, at some point the Buddha is coming, wake you up and um, reminding you that there are other sentient beings um, who have been kind to you and you need to take care of them. So you can't stay stuck in your own liberation. And she said it in another context, not uh, in her commentary on those evenings, um, I found it somewhere else. She recited uh, Martin Luther King, and um, I found that very inspiring, that fits very well to that context here. Martin Luther King said, we must all learn to live together as brothers, and we can add sisters, or we will perish together as fools. This is the great challenge of the hour. This is true of individuals. It is true of nations. No individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. And she's saying, or asking us, how do we live together as brothers and sisters? And I would like to turn the attention to you. What do you think, what do we need? Consideration for others. Do we need the mic? Consideration for others. And if it's short, I can repeat. Respect. Respect. Kindness. 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 Empathy. Empathy. Tolerance. Tolerance. Equanimity. Equanimity. Understanding. Patience. Understanding. Patience. Love. Love. Acceptance. Acceptance. Hard work, humor. <laughs> she says, um, the answer is to live with compassion. 
And this is an open heart that cares for others um, because our lives are connected with others and because each one of us equally wants happiness and not suffer. So, further, Gomshin Navang Trakpa is saying, thus inspired by pure altruism, enter the vehicle taught by the conquer Shakyamuni out of compassion. So the vehicle taught by Buddha Shakyamuni is the universal vehicle of the Mayana. And why do we enter that? Out of compassion. Gomsha Navang Trakpa continues, it, so bodhicitta, is the source of all goodness, your own and others. So how does that come about due to bodhicitta? <laughs> so everything that is good in the universe comes to bodhicitta. So my question is, how does it come about due to bodhicitta? Well, when you think about the bodhicitta has two sort of aspirations. One is to become awakened, and the other one is because the wish to benefit all sentient beings. So if you were to put your mind on those two attainments, the result would be a goodness in the world that every being would experience and that would come to fruition. Yeah. So there are two motivations to wanting to benefit sentient beings and to attain awakening for that purpose. And... <laughs> well, it's both. The, yeah. the, to attain awakening and yes. to do it for the sole purpose in order to have the skill and the means to be of the greatest. In order to have the skill and means to be of greatest benefit. So all the good in the world would be a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Yeah, it was a little bit, um, she, uh, interestingly, she went, uh, went a little bit different way. She said, um, the whole idea is we sentient beings want to be happy, don't want to suffer, but our mind is so obscured by the ignorance that we can't see clearly what are the causes of happiness and what are the causes of suffering. So we kind of stumble around um, like blind people thinking that the cause of happiness is getting everything that we want and pushing away a way that threatens us. So she reminds us that we are the blind people. And um, so how to create um, happiness? She is relating it to creating virtues. So. She's saying, well, somebody has to teach us. We learn, we have to learn what the causes of happiness are, what are the causes of suffering. So we hear virtues is the cause of happiness, non-virtues is the cause of suffering. But what does virtues mean? So we have to have the right understanding what virtues is. And then here it comes. Um, we have to learn and so we trace back our own virtues in that way, then we see it must have originated with the Buddha, with the Buddha's teachings. Somebody and those, yeah, with the Buddha's teaching, and those teachings getting passed down and so on. 
and eventually somebody is teaching us and then us thinking about it and acting in that way. So that comes from the Buddha's teaching and the Buddha's teachings are supported by bodhicitta. So that's why it's saying bodhicitta is the source of all goodness, your own and others. So then Navantakpa says, and the soul paths traveled by all wise. That means there are certain things that create the cause, the causes to become full awakened, such as bodhicitta, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, realizing emptiness. So we have to be in contact with these traditions, um, learn, think about the teachings, and meditate upon them. And put them into practice. So then, by working for others' welfare, you achieve you are naturally Gomshinavang Thakpa saying. So how do we do that? By working for others' welfare, you achieve your own naturally. How does it work? By freeing our mind from the self-centered thought. Mm -hmm. By freeing our mind from the self-centered thought. Intelligent egoism. egoism. So his holiness is being wisely selfish. The first one was. Yeah, Lama Superimpoche was saying. All happiness comes from cherishing others. So she puts it just in a little bit. Um, it's a similar context, but um, I would like to share how she explained that. When we give up this constant, I want this, I want that, when we work for others' welfare sincerely, then the results come automatically. The more we think about me, 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 I want this, I want that, the more we focus that way, the more we don't actualize our own happiness because we can never succeed in controlling everybody else. So we are always frustrated because <laughs> these dumb sentient beings don't do things my way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Gomshinavang Trakpa says, but by working for others' welfare, you achieve your own goal. Remarkable. Then we continue with how to develop that aspiration, showing that compassion is the root of the path of the great vehicle. So, first of all, what is compassion? The wish for sentient beings to be free from suffering. And its causes. It's not emotion, it's intention. So, what really is suffering? What is dukkha? Yes, you can start with that if you start like. With that one? Okay. <laughs> yeah. The one that's most obvious for, I think, all living beings is the dukkha, just physical and mental gross suffering. That's experienced by everybody. And then there's the dukkha of change, which no matter whatever we're going after, sooner or later it's going to fall apart, separate, degenerate, 
go away. So we put all of our eggs in one basket and it never lasts. So there's just the dukkha of simply trying to find happiness in all the wrong places. And then the third one is the all-pervasive compounded dukkha, just because we got these bodies that are get old, sick, and dying, these minds that are so crazy-making that mm -hmm. we're set up for that third kind of dukkha. Yes. So, she wanted to make it clear that um, what we usually think is that the causes of suffering are other people. continues, Compassion for the harvest that is a state of a conqueror is like the seed, the moisture, the fertilizer, and the um, ripe food. So where did you hear that before? Shantakirti is homage to compassion, great compassion. Right. And we have this um, homage uh, in Shandresi Hall in the entrance, so everybody can see that. That was an inspiration by Venom Shutran to have that there. And she inspired us, she asked us, yeah, to get familiar with those verses and she went, she gave a commentary on that, she went through verse by verse so that we really can understand and be able to reflect upon them, meditate upon them and hopefully put them into practice. So we will just do that, we will um, do a review of what she taught. I would just like to um, read the verses. Hearers and solitary realizers arise from the excellent sages, the Buddhas. The excellent sages, the Buddhas, are born from bodhisattvas, the compassionate mind and the non-dual awareness, as well as bodhicitta. These are the causes of bodhisattvas. Compassion alone is seen as a seed of the conqueror's rich harvest as water that nourishes it. And as the ripened food that is the source of long enjoyment, therefore at the start I praise great compassion. Like a water wheel in motion, my creators, my creators have no autonomy. First with the thought, I, they cling to the self. Then with the thought, mine, they become attached to things. I bow to this compassion that cares for my creators. Homage to that compassion of my creators. Seen as evanescent and empty of inherent existence. Like a reflection in the moon rippling in water. So the first verse says, The hearers and solitary realizers arise from the excellent sages, the Buddhas. The excellent sages are born from bodhisattvas. So when I was saying that, in Buddhism we talk about three vehicles, the path um, people can follow. So the Hura path, that's the path to personal liberation, and the solitary um, realizer path as well. And then the third path, the Bodhisattva path, that leads to full awakening. So here it's saying that the hearers and solitary realizers arise from the excellent sages. Who are the Buddhas? It said the Buddhas are the cause of the hearers and solitary realizers. So what does that mean? What do you think? The Buddhas give the teachings to the hearers. Yes. 
So the healers and solitary healers come from the Buddhas by practicing the teachings the Buddha gave. Then next first phase, the excellent sages, meaning the Buddhas, are born from bodhisattvas. Now what does that mean? Um, what are bodhisattvas? Um, they are aspiring to be Buddhas. Bodhisattvas will, will become Buddhas. So she said, um, just to use the right terminology and right thinking, beings who have generated bodhicitta, that altruistic intention, aspiring for full awakening. And they are once practicing the path of the great vehicle or universal vehicle. The bodhisattvas are the people who are practicing to become Buddhas. So the Buddha and the Bodhisattvas becoming the Buddhas, that's more the um, substantial cause. So then the next verse says, the compassionate mind and the non-dual awareness as well as the Bodhicitta, these are the causes of Bodhisattvas. Now where have you heard that before? Precious Garland. Yeah, Precious Garland. It's verse 174 and 175. It's saying, Therefore, refrain from what is not Dharma. Heedfully practice the Dharma. If you and the world wish to attain unexcellent awakening, its roots are bodhicitta that is as firm as the king of mountains, compassion that is as fast as space, and wisdom that relies not on duality. So, um, yeah, and the idea started off with Nagarjuna and has been repeated by Shantakirti. So what are the three causes um, for bodhisattvas? Compassionate mind. Compassionate mind, yes. Non-dual awareness. Yes. And bodhicitta. Right. Contrive bodhicitta. Perfect. <laughs> So when Shutan goes into these causes in more detail, the first one is the compassionate mind. So we know that compassion is the cause for bodhicitta. So you can't have an altruistic intention wanting to attain full awakening for the benefit of all sentient beings without having compassion. No way. So having equal compassion for everybody is not an easy thing, she's saying. We do have the ability to develop that kind of compassion, um, that equal-hearted compassion for all living beings. So we can accomplish it, even so it's difficult. And she's saying, and even if we can't actualize full compassion in this life, any little bit closer to compassion is beneficial. Um, we know from our own experience that it will benefit us, it will benefit others people who we live with, um, it benefits all living beings. And because, she's saying, because one sentient being having a little bit of compassion can make a big difference. I'd like to invite you, maybe you know from your own experience, um, uh, next, yeah, a story where you have seen that a bit of compassion can make a big difference in your life.
washed board. <laughs> it was a few years ago when uh, they were building Chenrezig Hall. It was in the early spring when it had a lot of rain. And I started heading up to the meditation hall, and there were all these worms out on the road. So I ended up spending most of my time before going to practice, going down the road. I was coming up with a handful of worms, and Medibal comes out of the cabin and goes, what are you doing, Medibal? So I said, I'm moving all the worms out of the road before Jeremiah comes up the road. And she said, you should be in the hall. So I felt really good about what I was doing, but I think it was my presence that also needed to, I needed to understand that I was supposed to be up there and not out there hanging out with the worms on the road. But I really felt, um, I don't know. Those small things, you know, they don't know what, what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. And so I kind of got in over my head because I had dozens of them. I just was putting them off on the road. But that made me feel connected to them. That made me feel that somewhere in our lifetimes before we had been friends and parents and mothers to each other. Because I just have kind of critter, critter care kind of karma. So. That was kind of a cool morning. And, uh, but I ended up you know, putting them in a big pile in the dirt and heading back up to the hall. And benefiting people in, I guess, a different way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Is there somebody else who wants to share a story? An experience? Okay, we go further on the second course. Compassion is a non-dual awareness. So what does non-dual awareness mean? Freedom from the two extremes. Nihilism and absolutism. Freedom of the two extremes of nihilism and absolutism. Correct. So can you explain that a little bit more in detail? What does it mean? Maybe you can take the microphone. So freedom from the two extremes of nihilism and absolutism, um, meaning avoiding thinking that things are inherently existing mm -hmm. or that they're totally non-existent, which is an aspect of the wisdom realizing emptiness to some extent. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I don't know if you have to have complete understanding of that in order to have the understanding that those two extremes are mm -hmm. false. Mm -hmm. This is an intellectual understanding that <coughs> um, Like it's based on an inferential um, cognition, when I would say it. So that's what you need. Yeah, it's um, you don't have to be on the um, path of seeing for having realized that. You have to be. No. Yeah. I think she said you don't have to be. Actually, if it's the cause of a bodhisattva, it could be because the cause has to happen before. Right. It's referring to the sharp faculty disciple. Um, so the sharp faculty bodhisattvas in training 
um, they realized that before they entered the Bodhisattva vehicle. Yeah, when was it that? And what marks a sharp faculty disciple? What, what, yeah, or marks, what, what, yeah. In case they want to check out to see if the path is really the path. Right. Yeah. Sharp faculty disciples are the ones that want to make sure that the path is something that can be attained before the, um, they wholeheartedly start engaging in it. So the Bodhisattvas meditate on um, emptiness, um, but uh, they also had a whole lot of teachings before that. Um, they don't just start on the path of emptiness, when I was emphasizing, um, but they get, as I said, an intellectual understanding of emptiness by means of inter- inferential cognition. And with that, they have the confidence that it's possible to realize emptiness and to use that realization to cleanse the mind of all the afflictions. So, sharp faculty bodhisattvas start out with an inferential realization before they realize bodhicitta. Then the third cause of bodhisattvas is bodhicitta, the awakened mind. So, how can bodhicitta be a cause of bodhisattvas? Sugar cane bark. <laughs> the sugar cane bark bodhicitta. Yes, there's a bodhicitta like sugarcane bark and that is contrived artificial bodhicitta that you have before you get actual bodhicitta. So what could be, would be a good example of that? Venerable made it more to a modern example. Maybe you remember um, because sugarcane bark is maybe <laughs> a little bit foreign for us. Ice cream lid. <laughs> <laughs> She gave the example of the ice cream lid. Is there another example you can think about? Maybe the ice cream lid doesn't fit for everybody. The top of a yogurt container, too. It takes off that piece of aluminum foil and you look off. If it's good yogurt, at the top of a yogurt container. What about the smell of a good meal? You know it's going to taste good, but the smell of a good meal you know that it's a good meal but you haven't yet eaten it tasted it yeah that's a good example so it's fabricated bodhicitta one that you and that you are generating with effort so um, to summarize it the cause for Buddhas was the bodhisattvas meaning the bodhisattvas um, are the substantial cause. And then, what causes the bodhisattvas are the three factors. What, again, was it? Just to make sure you... <laughs> the three causes, again. Compassion, non-dual awareness, and bodhicitta. Thank you. Compassion, non-dual awareness, and bodhicitta. So then, Shantakirti continues. Compassion alone is seen as a seed of a conqueror's rich harvest, as water that nourishes it, and as the ripened fruit that is a source of long enjoyment. Therefore, at the start, I praise compassion. 
So compassion here, it's talking about the three functions of compassion. It's a seed at the beginning of the path. It's the water and the fertilizer that makes the seed growing and um, keeps the spot um, <laughs> and makes the spot keep growing in the middle of the path. And it's the ripened fruit that is the harvest of the path. So compassion is the seed. Uh, for the past because to get bodhicitta we have to have great compassion first. So what do we need to have in order to generate compassion? Well according to the teachings a few weeks ago it's renunciation, the determination to be free because you can't... It's renunciation, the, the determination, determination to, to be, be free, free. Without compassion for yourself. Without compassion for yourself. To free yourself from cyclic existence. To free yourself from cyclic there existence. There is no way to generate then yeah, there's no beings. way to generate compassion for other beings. And we have to do the practices of the initial scope, the Four Noble Truths, right? That involves understanding dukkha. That involves understanding dukkha, <laughs> refuge, karma, exactly. Recognize others suffering dukkha and, and see them as lovable. Yeah. Perfect. So, with compassion, when we are able to look at dukkha, the unsatisfactory condition, experiences in cyclic existence, and that both we face and other sentient beings. Um, then compassion feels like I want to protect sentient beings from the misery of cyclic existence. I want to eliminate their sufferings. So compassion is uh, more than just saying uh, how wonderful it would be if they would be free of suffering and its causes. And then we go on, um, strengthen it a little bit more, may it be that way, and I will get involved um, and make it happen, make that happen. So this takes time and joyous effort, she emphasizes. So compassion is a seed that gets us going on the path and compassion is also the water and fertilizer in the middle of the path. So when you are doing um, the bodhisattva practices, when we are practicing generosity, ethical conduct, fortitude, joyous effort, concentration, wisdom, then we are practicing all those things. Bodhicitta is what analyzes it and keeps us going. And then at the end of the path, the food, the Buddhas are so greatly habituated with great compassion, the enlightened activities will benefit us continuously. Then the next verse says, like a water wheel in motion, my creators have no autonomy. So that's talking about one type of compassion called compassion observing sentient beings. It continues with the thought I, they cling to a self. Then with the thought mine, they become attached to things. I bow to this compassion that cares for my creators. So this all refers to three kinds of compassion. 
And first of all, migrators are seen as uh, evanescent, uh, means fleeting, temporary, momentary, and empty of inherent existence, like the moon rippling in water. That's an example that's given here an analogy. So the three compassions are compassions for sentient beings, um, called compassion observing sentient beings, compassion observing phenomena, and compassion observing the unapprehendable or the objectless. So the first compassion here, compassion observing sentient beings, here is comparing sentient beings caught in cyclic existence with a water wheel or a paddle wheel. So just as a bucket of water wheel is tied by a strong rope, she's saying sentient beings are tightly bound to cyclic existence by ignorance, afflictions, and karma. So you can visualize a bucket and this strong rope. And this rope keeps the bucket in place and controls its movement in the same way that our afflictions, our ignorance, our anger, our attachment and so on, the karma we create um, from those things hold us. We don't have freedom, we don't have autonomy. Benoit Shudan says it very beautifully. So as we continually grasp at I and mine, the view of personal identity, then that pulley, yeah, pulley, mm -hmm. makes us go down in samsara and up and down. Then third, it's just as the water wheel continually goes up and down, sentient beings wander without end in cyclic existence from the highest in material meditative absorption down to the lowest hell realm. And we have been born and will continue to be reborn in all these different realms of existence until we develop the compassionate wisdom that liberates us. The bucket is bound by ignorance, it's moved by the pulley, and it doesn't have its own freedom. So it goes up and down, so we go up and down in samsara. We know that um, what kind of rebirth we all have in, um, uh, we don't know what kind of rebirth we will have in our next life, next rebirth. All these things depend on our karma, um, and then they depend on which karma will ripen at the moment of death because throughout our life we create many, many different uh, kinds of karma and what karma will ripen at the time of death, we don't know. So um, that's going to depend what kind of attitude we are having when we are dying, uh, what we are thinking when we are dying, what kind of motion, emotion we are having when we are dying. So therefore she's emphasizing that's very important. Um, um, what kind of karma we are creating right now. So that will determine our next rebirth. Therefore, we should watch our mind and not create more negative karma. And I would like to stop here and do a short meditation with the analogy of a, a water wheel, if you allow. Close your eyes, come back to your breath, short moments. So imagine a bucket traveling in a well. 
tied to a wheel. Controlled by an operator, by the operator. Going down into the dark depths and up to the pile top over and over again. Being drawn up with difficulty and strain. And easily descending back down to the bottom. Clattering against the sides of the wall, the well, being battered and broken as it swings. Just as a bucket is tied by a rope to the wheel, so we are bound by past actions, contaminated by the afflicted emotions of attachment, anger, ignorance. Just as the turning wheel depends upon a person operating it, so our wandering and samsara depends upon consciousness. Just as the bucket travels down the bottom of the well and up to the top. So we travel among the stations of samsara, cyclic existence, being born over and over again. We don't know what kind of form we will have in our next life, what kind of forms we had in our previous lives, where we are, where we will be reborn, where we have lived before as helping hungry ghosts, animals, humans, demigods, gods. So just as a bucket descends easily in the well, but is difficult to throw upward, even with hard work, so our own tendencies of mind, our attachment, anger, ignorance are such that we are easily torn down into lower states of existence. So to interrupt that movement to the lower states and move towards the higher states of existence, we must make strong effort, put strong effort into our practice. And last verse says, Homage to that compassion for my creators, seen as evanescent and empty of inherent existence, like the reflection of the moon in rippling water. So, this verse talks about the last kinds 
two kinds of compassion. Compassion observing phenomena and compassion observing the unapprehendable. So phenomena here means the five aggregates that make up sentient beings. Our body is the form aggregate. And then we have the four mental aggregates that are feeling, discrimination, miscellaneous factors, miscellaneous factors, and the primary consciousness. So this compassion is not observing the aggregate, she's emphasizing it's observing sentient beings, but as qualified by being designated independent on the aggregates. So the migrators here are seen as um, transient, evanescent, transient, changing, impermanent. So um, there's an, an analogy, the moon changes every day, but even on a subtler level, the moon stays never the same, not even for a finger snap of moment. So when we realize that sentient beings change moment by moment, then we are able to negate the existence of a permanent, partless, independent self. There are three more ways of seeing sentient beings that fall under this category of compassion observing phenomena. It's um, as not um, um, seeing sentient beings as not a different entity uh, or as the aggregates, as imputed on the mere collection of the aggregates, and also seeing that as it's not a self-sufficient, substantially existent person. I will not go into more detail for now on that. <laughs> that can be done by one of or one or somebody of the other seniors here. <laughs> then the third kind of compassion, observing the unapprehendable. So if we go back to the first homage to the compassion, passion for migrators seen as evanescent and empty of inherent existence like a moon rippling in water. So in, the, in this third kind of compassion, the object is sentient beings qualified by being empty of inherent existence. So when I was saying, so this compassion is not directly perceiving emptiness. Rather, the person previously has been meditating on emptiness and come out of their meditation now they are cultivating uh, compassion. But the way they are sentient beings, in, um, sentient beings is influenced, they are seeing sentient beings is influenced by their meditation on emptiness. So they are seeing sentient beings as uh, qualified by being empty of inherent existence. So when we see the reflection of the moon and water, uh, when the water is really still, um, then it looks like there's a moon right there in the water. Right. So and, um, this energy is just as sentient beings appear to be truly existent, that appearance is false. So now, sentient beings, um, seeing sentient beings as qualified by either impermanence or emptiness, Rather than just seeing sentient beings suffering due to karma and afflictions, is that um, 
your opinion and your opinion changing um, the quality of your compassion. <laughs> yeah. So um, you could see sentient beings as being qualified by impermanence or um, as seeing them um, as yeah, just suffering due to their karma and afflictions. Will that change um, your um, quality of compassion? By seeing them qualified by impermanence? Yes. And seeing them under the control of affliction. Will that or change seeing, yeah. You understand yes. them as a reality? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so sending beings are grasping onto their pleasure and thinking that's going to last. That's our problem. Uh, she's saying, um, there are so many sentient beings who have been kind to me, who want to be happy, but we have no clue that their own experience is that they are disintegrating moment to moment. So when you take a step further and see sentient beings are qualified by being empty of inherent existence, and that they have no clue that they are empty. So in fact, they're um, grasping to an eye, they grasp to a mind, they create so much karma, virtues and non-virtues by this kind of grasping to an eye that does not exist. She compares it with us thinking there's a boogeyman or having thought there's a boogeyman when we have been a child or Santa Claus. And so, just like that, we think there is a boogeyman, but actually, you know, now, or even as a child, you know, there's absolutely no boogeyman, no Santa Claus. So, it's the same way she's saying when we grasp a true existence. So, there's no truly existent self. We don't need to defend anybody. Uh, we don't need to worry about anybody. Um, so, but we suffer unnecessarily because of our ignorance, she's saying. And when we say we, she really emphasizes that we have to understand it's us included, really. So this suffering, Dukkha, um, you can see it's based on fabrication. It's uh, made due to our karma that's based on a pure hallucination of our mind. And uh, so none of that dukkha is really necessary, she's saying. Uh, if we had wisdom to see that the person was empty of inherent existence, then we would stop causing, um, creating the cause for our own suffering. So when you really, when we really see that and how sentient beings suffer so much based on hallucination, then how can we not have compassion for them? And we need to have some compassion for ourselves in that process as well. So, I would like to end this review with a meditation on compassion. And that would be, yeah, the end of this whole thing. Once again, take position.
go back to your breath for some moments. So begin this meditation with yourself. Imagine in front of you a replica of yourself and reflect on the various sufferings, dukkha, dukkha of pain, dukkha of change, and the dukkha, how do you say that in English? <laughs> Or pervasive compounded dukkha. Thank you. See yourself and your own unhappiness due to being subject of human conditions such as sickness, the loss of a dear one, a sense of loneliness. Now wish yourself to be free from these conditions and their causes. Imagine what it would be like to be free from these. And really feel you newly found freedom from insecurity, from fear, anxiety, anger emotional neediness and also have a strong sense of freedom from ignorance.
do the same reflection towards teachers or those you respect. First, be aware of the various suffering, <coughs> dukkha, the unhappiness of the subject, such as sickness, loneliness, and extend that also to the subtler, subtler dukkhas that sentient beings experience. And turn that afterwards by imagining that they are free from these conditions and their causes. Turn the attention to strangers. Maybe you drove to town today and just saw somebody barely can remember the face, or you remember from another occasion a visitor you just have seen here at the Abbey or somewhere else. And do the same meditation. First reflect on the various stickers and the unhappiness of this being and then go also into a subtler meditation on the three kinds of dukkhas and then wish that person to be free from these conditions and their causes. imagine them to be free from ignorance, insecurity, fear, anger and such.
we are going to be more courageous. We apply this meditation to those we don't like. People we disapprove of or feel threatened by. Those who have harmed us in the past. And if we really have great difficulties applying that meditation, we remember that they did that harm due to their internal unhappiness. So it means people harm others when they're themselves unhappy and miserable. Imagine that this person would be um, would feel like um, what this person would feel like if he, she were free from that pain and misery. And then finally include all living beings in your meditation, wishing each of them to be free of all kinds of suffering and their causes, and rest your mind in the inner experience of having a compassionate heart.
to finish this practice, I would like to go back to what His Holiness has said in his Compassion book. So, spiritual practice is saying, um, it's removing suffering uh, on a deeper level. So these techniques involve an adjustment of attitude. So spiritual education basically means adjusting your thoughts in a beneficial way. This means that by adjusting counterproductive attitudes, you are held back from a particular kind of suffering and are thereby freed from it. Spiritual education protects or holds you and others back from misery. Actions in the 
nations. And especially at Shabbos, we have been in the West. Flourish.